0: A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how do you build a church and uh, what do we need to do? And it's these two things that we hold together, uh, action and prayer. We pray and we love. We're called to make a difference and to pray and to love. And if you can think of nothing else to do, could you pray and could you love your neighbour? Could you pray and love your neighbour? Could you love your neighbour and pray? But when we see the news, there are so many things that make us angry. And I want to talk, uh, I want to bring two things that come out in the next story that we're looking in Nehemiah, that may or may not see how they connect. They connect in the story. And we may feel one of them applies to us more than the other, or we may feel both of them. I want to talk a bit about anger, and I want to talk about discouragement. Uh, Another cartoon, a guy goes up uh, seeking the guru, he says, the guru says to him, the system is corrupt, they've been lying to us for years, you can't trust any of them. And then the guru says, wait, did you say you were asking for peace of mind? Oops, my mistake, I thought you wanted a peace of mind. (laughs) How do we find peace of mind when there are things that make us angry? And do we know what makes us angry? Many of us, myself included, find ourselves getting angry at things and we're not totally sure exactly why that has pushed a button in us. Why is somebody going slower than 30 miles an hour so irritating? Why is something that we've seen on the phone so annoying? Different things are triggered. We're living in a really angry world. Gladiatorial opinion against opinion, and some of us are deeply discouraged by that, and others of us are infected with it, and we carry the same anger. I want to look at anger and discouragement in equal measure in Nehemiah chapter 4. For you have been following us, you'll know where we are in Nehemiah, but just for those of you who joined us tonight and preached through the Old and then the New Testament, uh, turn and turn about, we're in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a guy who's living hundreds of miles from Jerusalem. Uh, His great-grandparents or his grandparents were there, but he's been moved forcibly uh, as a slave. Uh, He's uh, working for the emperor, but he's heard... That Jerusalem, the, the, the center of the religion that he holds, uh, is, has, hasn't, is being attacked and oppressed because they haven't been able to rebuild the wall. If you have a garden that doesn't have a fence, you'll know the importance of a fence. It keeps out, makes people out, keeps a security and a safety from burglars. And he hears that the wall of Jerusalem hasn't been rebuilt over 100, a year, 100 years or more, and that the nation is uh, a weak. And, vulnerable. and he's greatly distressed by this and he turns to God for in prayer for a number of months and then he, he, he gets the opportunity to say something and he says, Lord, uh, send me. He says to uh, Emperor Artaxerxes, I've been practicing that name, uh, he says, send me. So he sets off uh, hundreds of miles and he goes to the people who are defeated, who are discouraged, who are downcast, who are living in this ruined city, unable to worship God in the temple with any security or safety because the walls are broken down and he inspires them to rebuild the walls. He tells them how God has miraculously brought him there and he encourages them to begin the work. And the last time we were out, we looked at the fact that as they begin the work, there's all these different people who get involved. Not necessarily people who are good at building walls, not necessarily people who felt it was their job, but they felt they were doing it for God and they all got involved. And that's when we get to where we're going to go tonight in chapter 4 and we come back to the guy called Sambala. Now Sambala was the governor uh, in charge of this area and it says he became angry and greatly incensed. Now it's not really that clear why the guy gets angry. Surely it's a good idea. He's in charge of an area. The people are fairly downtrodden and depressed and oppressed and they get raiders who come in and steal things and capture things. They're not really a very secure community. And, And Nehemiah comes and inspires them to build a wall. He ought to be pleased. This is going to make his territory more safe and secure. Surely it's a good thing. But he's angry. Why is he angry? Does he know why he's angry? What's going on? It may well be that he has a sense of feeling embarrassed and threatened. Maybe his failure of leadership is being exposed and it's abundant to other people because they're now rebuilding the wall. The thing that he didn't bother to do or he couldn't get others to do or he didn't feel it was necessary to do, that is now being done and maybe he feels it makes him look bad. Or perhaps he was benefiting in some sort of corrupt scheme from the vulnerability of Jerusalem, that he was in league with those who were raiding, perhaps. And therefore, the, the thing that he was getting benefit from was going to be challenged because the place was going to be more safe and secure. Or perhaps, although he came from uh, uh, the same sort of origins of faith, uh, he was probably what we would understand as a Samaritan, and that there might have been a prejudice. Maybe there was a racial prejudice that he didn't like these people who'd come back, the people who'd come back from exile. Whatever it is, he is greatly incensed. What a phrase. What is it? That greatly incenses you. Is it politics? Is it family? Is it the phone? Is it stuff that isn't happening? Is it stuff that is happening? Is it things that are done to you? Is it things that you can't get right in your own life? How do we respond to anger? How do we deal with a culture that sets one against another? That which we're seeing in Israel and Palestine, hundreds of years of hatred. For what point that more people might get killed? I want to ask us a question. Do we know why we get angry? What is it that pushes that button? If you think about what has made you angry in the last few minutes, perhaps my sermon, in the last few days, the last few weeks, what is it? What kind of things might it be? Is it not getting our own way? We have an idea of how things should be, how we want things to be, how we need things to be, and it hasn't happened. Maybe we find that, Things that are uncertain, that we're, that we're fearful of what's going to happen or what is da- bound to happen, and that makes us angry. We're robbed of peace. Maybe we are fearful, and that same sense of embarrassment, of being exposed, of people seeing that we do things wrong or being ridiculed or humiliated. Or maybe we are fearful, uh, or angry rather, at injustice, a whole loads of different things that make us angry. One of the disappointing things, isn't it, is that Christianity has a reputation for being angry. In fact, more than Christianity, religious people. Have you, how many times, if you had a pound for every time somebody said, if we got rid of religion, we'd get rid of war, we'd all be rich people, wouldn't we? And we have a reputation maybe just, maybe unjust, in the media for getting angry. And it seems to me that sometimes as I observe that there are two types of anger within Christians. And in some sense you may say equally they're both legitimate, but it's unusual to find them both in the same person. In other words, we're normally angry about one thing or the other. Let me try and explain. One area is what I... Might want to call immorality. We're talking about personal behavior that so may be consensual, but it damages an individual. It's ethical, it's to do with morals, it's to do with a lifestyle, it's to do with a way of behaving. And although the people who do that do that freely, sometimes that makes us angry because we may see or believe that there is a damage to them whole areas to do with sexual behaviour, perhaps, or to do uh, with other moral issues. That's one area. And there's another area which I'm going to call injustice, which is about not the individual, it's about how whole communities, whole groups of people are affected by behaviour that they haven't consented to in any shape or form, but is done to them. War. War. Global warming, areas of political or multinational oppression and injustice. So there are these two different areas. And what we often see is that those who are uh, religious swing in anger from one to the other. So it may be that we identify and recognise in ourselves that the, 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 the sort of personal moral behaviour is the thing that makes us really angry, but we're kind of ambivalent about injustice. We kind of feel sorry for those who get blamed we kind of feel sorry for those who, who, who have to make decisions or are affected by big decisions. So Sometimes you see the religious who are exceedingly angry about personal moral behaviour and kind of ambivalent about structural injustice. But then you come across other religious people who are very angry about structural injustice but kind of ambivalent about personal behaviour. I wonder where... We feel we are. Which one of those pushes the button? Or would we say both? It's unusual for both. And I want to suggest that there is perhaps a better middle way of trying to hold the both intention. Which means the anger is perhaps less intense, but more constructive and you may already be angry with me for not being angry enough about the thing that you feel religious people ought to be angry about. Our cartoon, Uh, say it with flowers. How do you say take your job and shove it with poinsettias? You'll be familiar, perhaps, with the really famous quote of Aristotle. We praise a man who feels angry on the right grounds. And he's going to talk about anger. And there are different ways in which we can be angry. The first thing is to be angry about the right thing. And so often we're not angry about the right thing. As You may have heard it said that people who have a really bad day at work and can't take it out on their boss by uh, saying it with flowers, they go home and they take it out on their family. I heard somebody tell me that those who go home and can't take it out on their family go to church and take it out on their pastor. I'm not really sure whether that's true or not. We praise a man who feels angry on the right grounds and against the right persons. If you think about what you, makes you angry, is it a good reason to be angry? And if it's a good reason to be angry, is it being taken out on the right people or not? We praise a man who feels angry on the right grounds against the right persons and in the right manner. It is possible to be angry about the right thing and be angry with the right person and express it in totally the wrong way, like killing them. For which there is no justification once we follow Jesus. Jesus. We praise a man who feels angry on the right grounds and against the right person, also in the right manner. But not only that, at the right moment. At the moment that changes. Because the point of anger is not to feel better because we've said it. We all think that. Actually, we never feel better because we've said it. It just has a hangover the next day, and we wake up in the morning and say, why did I say that? We think in a moment to say the things that will make us feel better will make us feel better. They don't make us feel better. The point of expressing anger is never to feel better. It is to transform a situation. It is to change a moment for good. So there is a right moment to be angry that will change a situation. So do we know how to be angry about the right thing, the right grounds, the right people, in the right manner, at the right moment, and for the right length of time? Because there comes a moment where we need to let it go. There comes a moment when we need to move on. There comes a moment when we need to stop killing people for what was done to our grandparents. So what makes us angry? And the second question is this, is do we know why we make other people angry? I I don't want to alarm you unduly, but the chances are you have made somebody angry certainly within your life, quite probably today. We make people angry, but do we know why we make people angry? Is it always everybody else's fault? Is anger always other people's problem with us because we are perfect, angelic, easy to live with people? I have fully come to terms with the recognition I'm not an easy person to work with or live with. And Sue and the boys and the staff team are saints. But do we know why we make other people angry? What ways do we express unlove? And what ways do we behave selfishly or hurtfully or apathetically that hurts or damages others? Maybe intentionally, because we're angry, and we want to show them, we want to express it, or more often unintentionally, because we haven't thought about it, because we've been careless. And in what way do we enact hypocrisy? In what way is what we say or sing not what we do? And makes other people angry. But it may be that we will make people angry simply by doing the right thing. By being being people of generosity, we may make people who want to hold on to their money angry. By being people of forgiveness and mercy, we may make people who want to judge and condemn angry. By being people who embrace uh, those of different age, different uh, race and culture and religion to us by being people who want to break down barriers, we may make people angry who want to segregate and divide and maintain prejudices. They only wanted to build the wall, but it made Sambala incensed. I don't say he was irritated, it says he was incensed. How do we deal with our anger? What's going on? So what Sambala does is he gathers a group of people who he wants to wind up. He's a great politician. In the presence of his associates, the people he, think will, he thinks will agree for him, who vote for him, in the presence of his party and the army, the people he needs on his side, he begins to whip up opinion. He begins to say things that will trigger their anger, their resentment, their prejudice. He wants to get the support of the army. We have seen leaders do this for thousands of years. And we see it now. Whether it's in social media, whether it's in speeches, whether it's on TV, whipping up the support to justify anger. He ridiculed the Jews, it says. And he picks out four things and then his mate picks out a fifth one. He says, really, these people are weak. What are those feeble Jews doing, he says. Now, if if they are feeble, he has got no need to worry about them. So why is he calling them feeble? If he's angry with them. He's trying to get everybody to hate them. These people are too weak. They won't achieve what they want. Will they really restore the wall? Will they really be able to offer sacrifices? It's not going to work. He's not wanting to say it's wrong to rebuild the wall because that would be a political gaffe. He's just trying to get people against these individuals who are rebuilding the wall. They're not going to be able to do it. They're too weak. They're going to build a bad wall. It's going to be rubbish and they're going to take too long. They're not even going to be able to finish it. We would build a better wall. We don't want them to build a wall. We haven't built a wall for 100 years, but if we could just get stop these people building a bad wall, it would be better. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Oh, what, there are, what these people are doing. And you can imagine his crowd of soldiers laughing at them. And what's going on in the laughter is the hatred is rising. These other people, these different people, these people who are not like us. They're bad. They're stupid. They're feeble. They're weak. They're attempting something pointless. And by the way, we hate them. And his mate. Uh, Tobiah joins in. Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. It's not going to work. It's not good enough. And Nehemiah, because of this political rally, What does he do? He turns to God in prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Now, what he does is he acknowledges that he's angry about what they have said. Turn their insults back on their own heads. He says to God, will you deal with this? Will you uh, punish them? Will you... Make what they're saying that's hurtful to us, will you bring it back to them? He isn't saying, God, will you give me a stone or a sword and I will kill them? He isn't saying, God, will you give me a plan and I can invade them and shoot them and put them to death? He's saying, God, will you do something because I need to leave it. I need to bring my anger and I need to place it in your hands. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He isn't there, he's seeing his, his people uh, ridiculed and uh, uh, hatred being whipped up against them. He doesn't say it's okay. What he's is saying is, God, you do with, deal with it. You're going to see that he's saying, you deal with it because I'm simply going to get on with the job you've asked me to do, which isn't to fight them, it's to build the wall. He wants God to act on, a, on their behalf. And there may be people that you are very hurt by and very angry with. And we need to give them to God and let him deal with it. Whether he deals with that on the day of judgment, whether he transforms them before that, we let God deal with it. We don't take matters into our own hands. So they rebuilt the walls till it reached half its height for the people work with all their heart. Why did they work with all their heart? Because their anger isn't being focused on the people. It's being channeled into the task. They don't waste time dealing with how they've been hurt. We'll see that things go awry in a future weeks, but at this moment, they work with all their heart. They ignore the doubts and they work together, as we looked at last time, And they've prayed so what it might be that we're trying to achieve with our lives what sense of God's kingdom are we working to build and see God at work with what is it that we want God to do in our lives what transformation of creating a person or a place to be more like Jesus are we working? It may be that our, we're trying to build within us a sense of being more Jesus where we are. Or perhaps a sense of God's kingdom in our family where there are difficult relationships and difficult things to deal with. It may be a sense of God's kingdom in our workplace where we just want to bring the love and grace and mercy and truth of God into a place that feels dark and difficult and painful and unChrist-like. It may be that we want to do that within our community. And we sense and feel the darkness around and we just want to bring light and we're working towards that. Or maybe we sense that in the church and we just want to do that. But there are discouragements that are planted in our lives. The same discouragements that Sambala sowed. And with the help of Paul in the New Testament, I want to speak into those five discouragements that Sambal and Tobiah brought against the people of God and the way in which they might speak into our lives. And in particular, two books that Paul wrote, one called Philippians, the other called 2nd Corinthians, that talk of a God who comes in the midst of pain and difficulty. And if we are discouraged and if we are filled, we just can't do all that God has asked us to do. And we sense and feel voices, maybe voices physical and literal, people saying, we don't believe you can do this. Or maybe the voices are part of our past. God has, uh, things that have been spoken over us in childhood or in other broken relationships and we've lost confidence. Or maybe the voices are just simply Satan, the evil one, coming and saying, you're not good enough, you're not going to be able to do it that just possibly Philippians and two Corinthians will speak into our lives. So that first one, he calls them feeble. It may be we feel too weak. We feel unequipped to be a Christian at school, at work, at family. It just feels too difficult. And Paul tells us that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We may be facing really difficult things. And actually, weakness is good. What is far more difficult is this sense of, we're fine, we don't need to pray, we've got all the skills, we've got all the resources, we know exactly what we're doing, we're doing it all in our own strength. All of that tends to lead to disaster. When a people or a group or an individual come, God, I can't do this without you and we want to spend an hour in prayer or a week in prayer or a night in prayer because we just feel weak he says my power is made perfect in weakness and the second charge that sambala brought was that they won't be able to achieve what they were going to do the walls will never be rebuilt and it may be that we have a feeling said by others or just spoken in our minds to us we're not able to do it it's not going to work and Paul had learned that he can do all things through him who gives me strength. And these are words that may be apt and important for some of us tonight. When that voice says, you're never going ch- to change. You're never going to change that situation at work. You're never going to sort out the family. Never going to do it. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And the third charge was that it will take too long and we look at the task and it's huge and it's massive and we have no idea where to start or how to complete it. And Paul says, I have not untamed everything. I acknowledge that where I want to be, the race, is a long way from the finish line. But I press on. I press on. I just keep going. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't finished it. I haven't completed it. It seems bigger, but the one thing I do is I forget what's behind. I forget what isn't done. I forget what I've messed up on. I forget the the, the struggles and the opposition. I forget that, and I focus on what God is asking me to do tomorrow at 9 o'clock or 9.30 or whatever it is. I press on, keep going, persevere towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It may be that we just feel it's too difficult. It's too difficult. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What does that mean? It means that God puts preciousness into ordinary, broken, fragile people. We are not spectacular pottery. We are that embarrassing homemade thing that we made at school that's all wonky. And that's okay. Because the power is not from us. It is from God. And he says, look, we were hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And the same God is with us. It may be difficult, but it's not going to be too difficult. And we will get to the end. And we may feel it just won't be good enough. And Paul says in all my prayers, I always pray with joy, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has done a good work in us. He has begun it. He wants to continue it. We may be discouraged. We may feel that other people, other voices are saying no. But the word of God is that when his spirit comes in, it completes. So we're going to pray. I'm going to invite Sheila to come and rejoin. We're going to pray into a couple of things and then respond together uh, under her leadership. Uh, First thing I want to just pray about is anger. And I want to invite you to be uh, mindful and conscious of anger within you. It might be for the right reason. It might be you go, do you know what? I'm getting angry about the wrong things. It might be that you get angry uh, with the right things, but if you're honest, you know you're getting angry with the wrong people and in the wrong way. I want to invite you to bring that to God. As Nehemiah prayed and, and brought that anger to God and said, you deal with it, so let's do that together. Father, we bring to you the things that make us angry. Some of it we know makes you angry. Some of it we know we've got it out of balance. Lord, we ask that you would hold and take our anger, that it may be channeled in a way that is helpful and constructive, that brings change. not hurt. And we hear your command to pray for our enemies. And so we want to pray now quietly for those who make us angry. We name them before you in our silently in our hearts, whether that is family, whether that is colleagues, whether that is friends, former friends, neighbours, Leaders, politicians, we dare to ask your blessing on those who have stood against us. And we ask for your forgiveness when we've expressed anger in a way that was wrong. hear our prayer, we pray. Amen. The second thing I want to pray into is around this question, what are the doubts, the discouragements, the oppositions that we need to ask God's help for, which perhaps of these verses are particularly significant for us to receive in prayer?